hear this verse again, and then a little later in our message, you're going to understand what Jesus was saying. He says, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. These are good words from the Gospel of Luke. This morning for you, I want to share something with you. It's a story that almost broke my heart, but happened. I was meeting with an accountability group recently. We were talking about Scripture. And a lot of the guys in the group said, I don't read my Bible very often. And they all kind of agreed, said we're too busy, we kind of not have time for that. And they seemed to come to agreement that this was normal. That not reading the Bible was okay and that it was a thing that was acceptable because nobody else was. And I sat there in silence because I didn't want to say, how do you survive? (laughs) How do you live without it? How do you connect? What is more important? Instead, I let it go. Why? Because a lot of times we get caught up in the story of life and we miss life. It's a fact. As a matter of fact, today, we're looking at a group of people who are caught up in the story of life and miss life all in intent and purpose. They get caught up in social norms, if you know what I mean by that, where what's expected gets in the way of what is needed. As a matter of fact, in this passage, the tax collectors and the sinners have drawn near to Jesus. And they're gathered around Him. Now, these are the people who do not know God, do not love God, and are considered by most people in that time unacceptable social people. Socially unacceptable. You see them, you're going to get that reputation. Instead of the one you have, you're going to ruin your reputation. Even in 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, bad company ruins good character. Isn't that right? It's what we say. I got it on the screen for you. Bad companions ruin good character. You're around bad people, it's going to ruin. But let me let me give you a little qualification on that. Bad character is talking about when you start debating with people who don't know God and try to argue with them. That's what that text contextually is. But what the Bible's saying in that verse is it warns us to maintain healthy boundaries around ungodly people to understand that they are not to pull us in and we're not to pull ourselves in and be distracted, but rather to stay on the the Christ-like path. But what we have are Jesus eating with these folks who don't even know what a godly path is. Weren't church, they were tax collectors. That's the worst word in the New Testament to call someone. A tax collector. I mean, we're talking worse than ISIS. They took money and made money off of charging you too much tax. Yep, I get a little upset that Kentucky takes 6%. I think it's highway robbery, but imagine if we were in Tennessee and they took 9 or 11. Mm-hmm. I go down there and I go, oh, I forgot. i got to pay more for this. Mm-hmm. Not such a good bargain anymore. I get upset when they take more than they should. That they take any is crazy. At least that's how I think. So that's how tax collectors were seen. As they live off of you and taking advantage of you. And then they also had, and the sinners... <laughs> I love that. Tax collectors and the sinners. Tax collectors might not have been sinners, but they sure were swiping some off the top for themselves. 
And the sinners were the ones that were known sinners. They're the ones you could tell by the way they talked, the way they acted, the way they dressed, who they socialized with, uh, what they ate, what they drank. They were sinners. And they drew near to Jesus to hear Him. I was tempted when I heard that verse the first time to say, does this mean Jesus is throwing His pearls of wisdom before swine? Was He giving the Gospel to people who did not appreciate it? This is what the scribes and Pharisees thought. And they came complaining saying, He's receiving sinners and He's going to eat with them too. This is socially unacceptable to eat with a known sinner. Why? Because it means you're now responsible for that person and how they behave. If they're in your home, you become like a parent figure for them. And he said, he shouldn't do that. After all, we don't. And those people are not part of the righteousness of God, so why would he associate with them and ruin his character? He is doing socially unacceptable things and complaining, 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 complaining. And that's what they were doing. They wanted to know what Jesus' agenda was. Obviously, it was to act like a sinner. No, that's what they thought. His agenda was not. Jesus even said that there's more joy in heaven over one of these who repents than the 99 who don't need to repent. Hmm. So he's talking about a lost sheep. Let's, let's examine the flock this morning. And I don't mean this present church, but the flock in general that Jesus is talking about. In this particular flock, there are 100 sheep. In a biblical time sense, that was a medium-sized flock. Smaller ones were 25, maybe 50. The larger flocks were 200, any more than that. And the shepherd can't watch them. They're too many. So 100 was a medium size. And the shepherd, when he's tending sheep, he tends to want them together where he can watch them all at the same time. That makes sense, doesn't it? At night, they, he finds a kind of a, a crevice or, a, 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 if you will, an enclave, a place like a cave to keep them so there's only one way out. So the enemy cannot get in to the sheep without going through him and he'll sleep at the entrance of whatever it is. Sometimes they had a sheep fold which was a fenced-in area where many flocks were. And the door in was guarded by one shepherd on watch, and the other shepherds got to sleep. And they did that in shifts. So that's how many shepherds would get their sheep cared for. And you might say, well, that's crazy, putting all those sheep together in there, you know, the other shepherds are going to steal them. It's impossible. Because once the shepherd speaks, all the others kind of back off and his come forward. So there is no danger there. But this particular flock, medium size, and the shepherd is watching his sheep. He knew what they needed for food, water, and the best places to take them. You see, a shepherd's job before the sheep would ever leave where they were at in the fold was to go out and scout the land to see where the best grass was, the safest place to watch them was, and where it wasn't so rocky and dangerous because sheep are kind of fragile when they, when they migrate. So he wanted to make sure he had the best trail for them and kept them safe before they even left the fold. And so when he did that, 
as he scouted it out, the sheep, all they had to do was listen for his voice, stay in view of the shepherd, and trust him. They had to know that the shepherd knew where to lead them. Now, the trust of the shepherd is key to what the sheep need. But the sheep don't consider trust of the shepherd until the shepherd is gone. Jesus says he's the good shepherd. And imagine, if you will, the sheep in the flock and they're out in a pasture grazing, shepherd watching over them. And one particular lamb, he sees uh, some grass that looks kind of nice, you know, a little bit sweeter possibly, just on the edge of the pasture there. And so he kind of wanders over and goes after a little snip of grass and, and starts to eat it. And he takes just a little nibble and says, hey, that's pretty good. And so he's eating that grass and he sees some more just a little bit further away and he says, I bet this was good. That might be better. And he steps over and starts nibbling on the grass. And then that's really good. And he goes and he's still hungry and he sees some more a little further and there's some more. And after a while, he looks up after his belly's full and he doesn't see the flock. And he doesn't see the shepherd. All he was doing was grazing just off the edge, just a little here and a little there. But all of a sudden, when he looks up, there's nobody there. So he pokes his head up, notices the flock is gone, and he says, I am alone. What he really says is, ah. or, nah. depending. But he wails. I didn't know the shepherd wasn't here anymore. He, I trust the shepherd, but... Uh, but uh, the shepherd's not here. Now I'm alone. I have nobody to trust. Amen. I'm scared, says the lamb. And he bleats louder, but nobody hears him. How could my flock have left me? How could my shepherd have disregarded me? The truth is, the flock won't leave you. You will leave the flock. <laughs> You will leave like this little lamb. One conversation, one compromise, one bad choice at a time. It'll happen. And there are ways we leave the flock, and I'll share with you just a few. One of them is to ignore Bible reading or your devotions. Another way, skip church once. Or reduce your time in prayer. Or harbor unforgiveness in your heart. You can say, well, you know, I can't be around that person and I can't go where they're at. That forgiveness. Or to reduce or stop serving, giving, and helping others. Or obtain an attitude towards the church. That'll keep you away from the flock. Or an attitude towards God. Or a member of the church. Or a pastor or previous pastor. Or the worship service and or something wrong with that. Or you might hang with the wrong crowd for too long that says you don't need church. Amen. You name it, there are a whole bunch of ways you begin to take a little bit of a graze away from the flock. bunch of ways to leave. The good news is there is a way to come back. But I want to tell you how it feels once you have 
been gone. When you realize it, you don't have support, you feel like God has abandoned you, and you don't know what to do, that place feels empty inside, like the lost sheep very much alone, scared, and guilty. Now, I want to share this with you. Sometimes people are in church and they feel like they're out of the flock. You can sit right in the pew and say, God, why don't you see me? Why don't you notice me? And those thoughts can go through our heads like, I messed up. That's why I'm this way. It's my fault. Or, I'm not forgivable. And so I, that's why I'm no longer cared for and the shepherd isn't there in my life. Sometimes we beat ourselves up in, in, in crazy ways and we say, well, I'm stupid. I made these bad choices. I'm stupid and, and I'm going to keep making them so there's something that makes me stupid. I don't know what it is. And sometimes we think, Jesus won't take me back. I've done too much wrong for too long. I don't know how to do anything right. Sometimes we think God doesn't want me. See what He's doing for others and here I am on Sunday and I'm just sitting here and God doesn't even see me. He won't talk to me. He won't touch me. He won't let me know that He loves me. Sometimes we say, I can't stop making mistakes. When we feel lost, we feel like we are the mistake. Sometimes we say it like this, there must be something wrong with me. After all, other people can hear God. Other people get their prayers answered. Other people pray and read the Bible like they uh, are in love with God. And I think I'm in love with God, but I'm not doing that. So this must be all about there's something wrong inside of me. I just not be like other people. How sad it is if you're sitting here today and you're here and you say, yeah, all these other folks, they get it, but not me. That's a lonely place to think that you'd be the only one in the room that God can't reach today. Amen. So what does that little sheep say? Help. Sometimes, help, I'm lost. Will you help me? God, are you there? Do you see me? Will you help me out of this place? Get me back to you? I don't think you will because you're not visible. Those are statements of faith that's gone awry. And then we have to look at what it feels like to be the outcast of society. But if we're the one that made that shepherd have to leave the others and unprotected to come get me. It says in this passage that he searches in verse 4 on the screen until he finds it. Well, you say, well, God, 
is everywhere. He knows where I am. He doesn't have to find me. You understand there are places in you that God can't get access to real easily and that He's not looking for you like physically. He knows where you are physically, but trying to find you beneath the lies and the deceptions and the brutality you've given yourself and the world's placed on you. To find you amidst all these layers of resistance and defense and walls, God has to strip all that back to find you. You're hiding under there somewhere. And he says, I'm going to keep looking and digging through and trying to find a way into your heart where you've frozen yourself off because you don't think you, you are available or lovable or matter. And I'm going to come and keep knocking and asking for access until I come in and I'm going to look through your heart until I find you. I'm going to keep searching in the wilderness where you wandered off to Not because there's something wrong with you, but because there's something right with God. That God doesn't want you alone. Mm -hmm. He tells you He will never leave you or forsake you, but it feels that way. And He wants you to know what it's like to be found. Hmm. I don't know about you, But those scribes and Pharisees that were criticizing Jesus were writing off the outcasts of society and they're the lost sheep. And they're saying that they're not worth finding. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus goes and looks for them, He says, what joy there will be in heaven over this. And you didn't think it was possible. You didn't think it was possible for this one to come back. Or to come for the first time. To turn around and find hope in God. You didn't think it was possible because of what you see rather than what God can do. Tell me what God can't do in someone's life that is impossible for Him to do to bring Him out of the dregs and dryers of this world back into relationship with Jesus Christ. What can't God do? Tell me there's an unredeemable soul and I will tell you it's because they're dead. Dead as in not breathing dead, not spiritually dead. But even the dead, (laughs) like Lazarus, can still hear Jesus' voice and resurrect. So I have to question whether even the dead are off limits to the impossibility for God. So I'm asking you this morning, do you understand that the scribes and Pharisees were looking at those outcasts and saying they're, they're the unredeemed and they're the unredeemable? Mm-hmm. That there is no way you should be with them because they don't belong to God. Mm-hmm. If this were the case then the church's job would be to be what it is. And when this generation dies off, there's no more new people because the other people who weren't of God won't be coming in. Don't you have to have the ungodly become godly and save, redeem people to build the church? Otherwise, you got the same people. It's like the choir is the only people who are attending because that's all there is. There's no new people. How can someone begin to love and know Jesus Christ and there be joy in heaven unless at one time they did not and they were ostracized? Mm -hmm. 
And how great it is when someone has a great vast amount of sins and ungodliness in their life, when God brings them back, that their testimony is powerful. I've heard some stories, a lot of different stories, testimonies through the years. And I've heard one that was so powerful, I said, you know, that God could do that for you. Makes me almost wish I could have been that broken and lost and desperate and against God just to feel how good it is to come back. Amen. I almost wish that, except I didn't want to go there. I don't think I would have survived what that person went through. And there's been many stories like that. We call them the lost in the church. They're not lost. They're just the ones not found. Sometimes they're the frozen chosen. Mm-hmm. You ever heard that phrase? Those are the folks who love God, say they do, but they're sitting on the pews. Mm-hmm. Saying the pastor's jobs, go get some more people in the church. I'm coming to church and I'm going home and I'm done for the week. Amen. Oh, oh yeah, I pray. I read the Bible. I do my devotions. That's, that's what a Christian's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of shirk back at that because when a person belongs to Jesus Christ, Prayer, reading the Bible, and uh, doing your devotions. Just basic stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not doing a lot. Nope. Hasn't changed anybody, has it? By praying, reading your devotional, and the Bible. That hasn't touched a soul in your life but you. Amen. It's become a very self-focused Christianity. And you see, there's a funny statement and you probably don't catch it in this passage until you look and break it down because we're, I'm familiar with this passage and so when I wanted to prepare it, I said I need something fresh. Something I haven't thought about. When I was in seventh grade, my dad asked me if I felt the call to be a minister and if so, he would give you a sermon and it was this passage. And in my head, there was a little short sermon in my head about the lost sheep and someone hiding behind a rock and saying, God, find me. And God's going to look for you and He's going to find you there. And when I was in seventh grade, that sermon was there. So I messed around with this passage in my mind and how to speak it several different ways. But this week I said, God, give me something fresh. And, and so, so I had to take me back. And, and he says that, that the, in verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes complain, saying, this man is with sinners and eats with them. Now, tell me, who isn't a sinner? Amen. Can you find someone other than Jesus Christ who isn't a sinner? But listen to this parallel, all right? Scribes and Pharisees saying, this man eats with sinners and therefore he's ungodly. Mm -hmm. Does the scribe and Pharisee eat alone? If so, he's still eating with a sinner. Do you get that? Mm -hmm. He's a sinner. All have fallen short of the glory of God. They don't get this for some reason. That everybody sins. Everybody is short of the glory of God. He's eating with sinners. You ate with your family. You ate with sinners yourself. Do you understand? We are all sinners. Saved by grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we did or didn't do. It's what God did. I can't not eat with a sinner. It's impossible. So when you see that, what he's saying to them is what he says to the scribes and Pharisees is about them. 
I've always wanted to play this about me, you know, I'm the little lost sheep. It's not, it's about the 99. Amen. The 99. It says in the last verse again, I saw you to you there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 who don't need repentance. Now let me put this into common day modern English so you catch this a little bit more clear. Heaven's going to shout for joy when the one who realizes they need Jesus finally says, I need Jesus. Amen. Then those 99 who said they never did. Uh-huh. Who don't have a problem. Who don't need to ask for forgiveness or pray because they've got it already and they're not like those other people. Amen. The epistle I read said there's no distinction between any of us. None. Oh, but they, they are from a different background and different lifestyle. They are the same as you and me. We are all one. But we miss this and try to reject one or another because of whatever it is. But whatever that reason is, is because we need to repent for it. <laughs> Uh-oh. Did I just say that? Yeah, I did. You see, there are none who don't need repentance. Who fits this category but all of us? But the scribes and Pharisees are making it like, I never eat with a sinner. I'm holy. I'm godly. I don't need that. I live my life for God. I'm perfect in all my ways. And if you bring that person around me, that will make me a bad person. People will think I'm bad. If I accept what they're doing, they're going to think I accept sin in my life. Fact is, you do accept sin in your life. Get over it. We all have. You have accepted sin. We all have sinned. It's a bottom line thing. It's not because of how someone else acts that's going to ruin your character. It's how you behave. It's how you believe. That will ruin your character quicker than anything else anybody else does. Now, people will slander you, make other people think so. But just because the world believes it, doesn't make it true. Scripture even says, let every man be proved a liar, but God is true. So if God says something is true about you, that you're a redeemed son of God, or daughter of God, and the rest of the world is saying, no, you can't be because of your past, your background, or who you associate with, or how you dress, talk, or live. Who's right? Isn't God still right? And everybody else be wrong? We all know that rumors and stuff like that fly around about us. doesn't make them true. The only thing that makes it true is what God says over us, speaks over us. Everything else is opinion. Man's opinion. I don't think I'm on a soapbox, but it sounded like it. But I, I say this because who needs repentance? Do you need repentance? Well, let me tell you what it feels like to be found. Mm-hmm. First word that came to my mind when I thought of what it's like to be found is humble. Amen. It's very humbling. Mm-hmm. You did this for me. Thank you. Come on. I couldn't do this and I needed it and you did it for me. Yeah, I don't know how to say thank you enough. That's very humbling. But after that, there's a sense of being free. I don't have to carry that on my back anymore. 
And there's a sense of being safe. Nothing can come against me now because I have a Messiah and a Savior who's bigger than that. I feel safe and secure in His arms. I feel wanted now. It says that He carries the sheep on His shoulders. Now I've heard different stories that He breaks the sheep leg. I would have to disagree with that. It may be true, but I would disagree with that. In this passage, it never says that. It says He carries Him on His shoulders, mm-hmm. not in His arms like a broken leg. Yep. One of the, I think one of the passages here has Jesus with some sheep, and this one has one in His arms. He's carrying it gently. That's the Good Shepherd Amen. painting in stained glass. He's carrying it, and He's looking at it with joy and fondness. Yeah. Because this is a little one that He didn't give up on. That probably gave up on itself. So He feels wanted. But more than that, when you realize that all the stuff that you know makes you ungodly is forgiven, how it feels to be forgiven. Amen. It's amazing. It restores hope. And you feel hopeful again. Mm-hmm. i got a chance to have a better life, a godly life. I have a chance to be included in eternity. That's hope. It makes you feel alive again. God puts something in there when when He finds you. And you feel loved like you don't understand love until you get loved like that. And cherished. The look of God's eyes when He looks upon you and He says, I cherish you. You are important to me. You matter. You're the apple of my eye. You are my hope, my joy. You are my greatest thought. And you didn't know it, but I cherish you. And uh, to say it this way, we feel accepted in the Beloved. But there is a place there in His kingdom. And connected. Hey, there's another broken one. There's hope for them because there was hope for me. There's hope for them. And now we're all together in worship together when we all are found and we all see that we're connected by Jesus in the redemption. That he offers. And the one I think that resonates a lot within me is I used to be invisible as a kid, but it means I'm seen. It means Jesus came looking for me, and he may have found others, but he didn't give up on me until he saw me. He's not giving up on you either. And He does see you. He just wants to find you in the midst of what He's seeing. I love the way that that feels. Jesus said the shepherd keeps looking until He finds. Do you know what it's like to be found today? Here's what happens when you're found. You no longer see people who don't act godly as unredeemable. You see them as lost, scared, alone, afraid, needing someone to guide them safely back home. I used to be the kind of a person when I'd see someone like homeless on the street and I'd go, oh, you know, they they just, all they got to do is just change your life. And just heartless like that. Rather than getting down and saying, tell me your story. Connecting. Because 
they're just as broken as I was, just in a different place. And I began to see things differently when I did homeless ministry. After a while, I knew what the smell of uh, no shower meant. I promise you, it's not by choice. It's not by choice if someone can't, doesn't, or hasn't learned how. It's not their choice. They'd rather be a part of things. If they really knew what it was like to be loved and connected and had that experience and knew that they could, they just don't believe they can. I want to ask you a question this morning. And you don't have to answer it out loud, just in your head. As you look over your past week, have you spent enough time in the Scripture, in prayer, in serving, in offering your life as a sacrifice for God? Have you done enough? In a group of accountability men who said they didn't read their Bible, they thought it was okay because everybody else didn't. But there wasn't one of them, and, and I was concerned, and this is what broke my heart. There's not one of them said, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I can't compare myself to you and find Jesus in me. You can't compare yourself to someone else who think you're better than them and find Jesus. The only one you can compare yourself to is Jesus Christ. To become more like Him. And every day, to take a look and see where God's working on you. I don't know if you've ever been found. If you know what that feels like. But if you have, and you've lost that joy, you may have started nibbling on the grass further away and left the flock. And maybe today you need found again. And today you might need found for the first time. Maybe you slid back a while and you need to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ and His call on your life today. Maybe you don't know what it's like to be loved like Jesus loves. No matter what, He's going to reach out and look for you and search for you until you're found. If I asked you, have you repented of your sin? And you would say, yes, I have. I would say, when was the last time? Was it when you woke up or went to bed last night? Was it yesterday in the morning or during the middle of the day? When's the last time you came before God and said, God, I'm just not quite like Jesus yet. Please work on me. I'm sorry I haven't done that. Keep working on me. Or do you think you're a finished product? He doesn't have to. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are 99 who think they don't need to repent. There's one that gets it. And the one that gets it is the one that knows they're lost without Jesus. And the one that's lost says, I need to be found. And the one that's lost says, I need to repent again. Every day to come humbly before the throne of God and say, God, I need to repent because yesterday I harbored some unforgiveness and bitterness and judgment. God, I repent. I confess I repent. God, mold me, make me to be Yours. God can hear that prayer. But if you're just sitting there daily going, I should read my Bible and pray. What about repentance? Have you lost it? Amen. 
Have you forgotten this verse and passage is about scribes and Pharisees leading the church who are unrepentant? And if they are, then the people who listen to them are as well. You don't repent one time. You repent every time. Until you get it right. And God shows you something else you need to work on. Until this morning, where are you at? I'm not going to ask you if you've repented this morning because I would guarantee that we haven't got a hundred here. And one of us on average, according to Jesus, would have been the one to do that. I'm just asking if you're willing to do it now. And make it a daily habit. God, I really do want to be in your kingdom. God, whatever I'm doing, get me away from that. If I'm slipping today, help me, God. Get me back. Help! 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 I need help! Or are you saying, no, I'm not going to leave the fold. I'm not going to leave the flock. Because I know I should be here. But I don't need to repent of anything because I'm in the flock. Never ever let that mindset take over you. Because you still need to repent. Can you do the cry of the sheep? Help? Do you know our help comes from the Lord? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's not always easy to hear a message that says we've got some work to do. Heavenly Father, if we don't have work to do, it means we're finished work already and we're not. You're still working on us. You told us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to work out in inside of us what you're putting in us, that it would be expressed outwardly. And Heavenly Father, as I come before you this morning, I confess that I don't always pray as I ought. And your word sometimes slips from my mind. But Heavenly Father, I repent of that and ask you to continue to bring me back. That your word would be the delight of my heart and the joy of my joy. That I would commit it to memory. That I would know you in the power of your salvation, Heavenly Father, by some way, somehow I might receive and reach some for you. Heavenly Father, let me not be complacent in lack of service, but rather... Asking you to put me to the task. And Heavenly Father, as I do this, may others here today who do not know you come boldly and say, help me, Lord. I don't know who you are. I want to know what that love is like. I want to know what it's like to be loved and wanted and needed and unafraid. And for some of us who've been in the fold for a long time, Heavenly Father, we... We sometimes wonder if you can even use us or speak to us or or know that you're still working through our lives, that we matter to you, that you, you do see us. And for those of us in that position, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak this morning and say, I do see you. I've heard the cry of your heart and I'm trying to see you through all your defenses saying that I don't. And I'm coming unto you right now. Receive me. 
And for those of us who think that we've got it all set up and made because we are a believer and born again, Heavenly Father, break our heart again because we still have more work to do. It's not about us. It's about serving You. So break our hearts for those who don't know You, who never did know You, for those who've wandered away, that we might be light in a darkened world rather than saying, I've got the light that I need for eternity. Heavenly Father, we need You. And I ask You to pour out Your Spirit on us now. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.